0: And welcome to Crackpot Theories, the podcast where everything is plausible until proven otherwise. I'm Sinead.
1: and I'm Sarika.
0: And um, Sarika, have you recovered from last week's episode? Not last oh. week, two, <laughs> two, two two weeks ago. I'm, I'm sorry, but
1: no, I, I'm still, I'm still traumatized. And for some reason, I think YouTube has like heard us discussing pad- Paddock. Because I've seen so many other videos in relation to Paddock.
0: Oh <laughs> yeah.
1: It's like a load of YouTubers decided to do stuff on Paddock recently and I'm like I didn't want to know what it looked like, but now I know what it looked like and it's even worse than I thought it was gonna be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh god, it.
1: it's literally the actual animation of it is so cartoony it makes it extra horrifying <laughs>
0: God. do you know what's oh, really I, funny yeah. though is is the fact that the people are doing stuff on it now this came out in 2012
1: like it's yeah, been, it's been just, around for a I, while I, I thought it might have came out on Netflix or something but apparently people are just discovering it, maybe they're discovering it from the podcast, we don't know but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not that popular yet but someday
0: oh yeah I just
1: so much about it it was uh, it was kind of crazy and i saw that um one clip where the mackerel our mackerel friend eats the clownfish and that wasn't fun um <laughs> i hate that youtube auto plays little clips and that's all i'll say on that subject
0: <laughs> yes finally nemo delicious
1: oh. <laughs>
0: in, in glorious 3d um okay well I I don't know if this episode is going to be any easier on you because uh, this is the fourth episode um, in our entire run that we are going to be discussing cannibalism.
1: <laughs> Finding people delicious. <laughs> from, from one fish cannibalism to human cannibalism. I love it. Mm. Um, so what are we talking about this week?
0: Uh, We are discussing the Hannibal Lecter series of media. So, um, Silence of the Lambs, Red Dragon, Manhunter, um, Hannibal Rising, and of course the Hannibal TV series, which is now on Netflix.
1: I absolutely love the Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal series, and I'm actually quite a fan of Hannibal Rising as well, so people judge me for that because it's not a great movie, but I just love it. It
0: has its moments.
1: I am so happy that I get to contribute.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because I know that uh, Sounds of the Lounge is your favourite childhood film.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of my youth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, six-year-old Sirica watching uh, watching Hannibal Lecter through the glass.
1: Drinking like grape juice. <laughs> With a nice
0: Chianti. <laughs> okay, so our theory... um. The theory that we are working with today, bear with me, is that Hannibal himself is an alien entity, and he is capable of moving through multiple realities.
1: Okay.
0: So, the Hannibal that you see in Manhunter, the Hannibal that you see in Silence of the Lambs, the Hannibal that you see in the TV series, they're all the same Hannibal. It's just that he decided to change a couple of things up for flavour. Right. Yeah, and uh, that's the end of our theory. Thanks for being here. <laughs> no, I... Ten out of ten. Best theory. <laughs> <laughs> I have some reasons behind this. Um, There's a lot of things that I've kind of picked up about all the different depictions of Hannibal that when you kind of put them together in a sort of a tapestry, there's a few things that kind of stand out that don't really make sense unless Hannibal is not human. So this yeah, okay. is this is where this occurred to me. So um, right, we have our four actors. We've uh, Brian Cox in Manhunter. He only played Hannibal once, which is a shame because he was actually quite a good Hannibal. I thought. Um, you have Anthony Hopkins, who is the definitive Hannibal. Really, in you know, most people's minds, fava beans, Chianti, liver, um. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, uh, and then you have um, Gaspard Aureliel. uh I'm most likely pronouncing that wrong, but um, the the guy from Hannibal Rising, and then Mads Mikkelsen. So those are four Hannibals. Do you have a particular favorite? Yeah.
1: I like Mads Nicholson just because it's Mads Nicholson and literally anything he's in is wonderful. Um, I've actually watched some Danish TV because he was in it. Oh. <laughs> cool. I don't speak Danish but it was nice to look at. Um, but I liked Me Man from Hannibal Rising because he was good looking. and But Anthony Hopkins I think is one of the best Hannibals because he just embodied everything that the character was supposed to be Yeah. Intense glare he has when he stares, but his delivery of the lines and just his general atmosphere he brought to it I think is the, the pinnacle of Hannibalnessnessness. So he would be my favorite.
0: Okay, yeah, that that does make a lot of sense. Um, I have a soft spot for Brian Cox's uh, depiction of him in Hannibal, um, but again, I think that this is all the same person, but different inflections of this person. Um, so first of all, um, I mean, we have to talk about the accents uh Brian Cox has a very plummy British accent. I mean, he does sound like he's about to do maybe a uh, Brutus, um, Shakespeare, you know, he's, he's going to do one of those quite a uh, matter of fact, non-emotional kind of roles. Um, so he's not as kind of charismatic as Anthony Hopkins or Mads Mikkelsen, uh, But he's he's a good, very subtle depiction, because he'll still creep you out. But the very plummy British accent, um, that in itself is a little bit strange. Anthony Hopkins also has a British accent, but that British accent is kind of, it's littered with a couple of Americanisms. I mean, sometimes he sounds more American than he sounds English.
1: Mm, isn't Anthony Anthony Hopkins is English
0: though, isn't he? He is, but he like he, he drawled quite a bit. Now, he usually mm. drawled when he was making fun of people, especially Clarice, but um he did kind of run his words together. He didn't kind of have the very sharp diction that Brian Cox has. Um and then Gaspard Ulliel is um he's French. And mm. he has a French accent. Doesn't try to be anything besides a French accent. Uh, God bless him, he sort of tried. Um, and then, There was a solid attempt There was and then Mads Mikkelsen of course Has a Danish accent um, But in all of this Hannibal Lecter is supposed to be Lithuanian Right His accent does not Sound Lithuanian in any Of the iterations and I mean we've been To Lithuania a couple of times uh, we, Yeah it's
1: a very distinct accent
0: It is because it almost Sounds like it almost sounds like A, a cross between like Greek and German because it's got those little musical inflections, but it's also got this real kind of deadpan to us. Almost given the, you know, the friends that we have that are Lithuanian and the, the kind of the way that they speak. Um, Mads Mikkelsen, it just sounds Danish. He sounds more German than anything. If he's trying to get away from the Danish accent does not sound Lithuanian. Brian Cox and Anthony Hopkins don't even try. And Gaspard Ouelliel doesn't try either. Um, He just keeps his normal French accent um now it kind of makes sense i suppose for brian cox and anthony hopkins because they're older in the role Um, mm. uh, but that's when you get on to the fact that the timelines are very messed up across all of the franchises because in yeah. in hannibal rising um the the kind of the main crux behind hannibal's uh start of darkness was that when he was eight years old his younger sister was eaten by some nazi collaborators in 1944. Um, and Hannibal was eight at the time. So Which would
1: make him very, very old <laughs> by the time like that the modern day ones would happen. Yeah, Let's
0: like, say yeah. the,
1: the Hannibal T V series was supposed to be set in modern day, so he'd be gosh, he'd be very old.
0: Well, yeah, here here's the thing, right? Um if you're going by the actual ages of the actors, Brian is actually a few years too young to play Hannibal. In Manhunter, Anthony is roughly the right age, give or take a year. And um, Mads, of course, is nowhere near old enough. And then Gaspard, he's in a prequel, so it doesn't really matter. Um, they don't—I don't think. Now I'm recalling—I did—I haven't read the books in a while, and I didn't get the chance to reread them before this. But I'm not sure they ever really talk about the sister being eaten in the books, except for when they wrote *Hannibal Rising*. Hmm. Um, I say they okay. it's Thomas Harris like why am I referring to them as they when he wrote it Th- was it brought
1: up in Red Dragon
0: I'm not sure like Red Dragon when it was written it, it was called Manhunter um, or, or was mm-hmm. it um, I, I could be getting that messed up as well but again it's been a long time since I read it I think it may have been kind of mentioned in a very throwaway comment Yeah. Um, but um yeah um Hannibal Rising puts that at 1944 so the only actor who's actually right for that age is Anthony himself and then in the tv series it obviously takes place a good maybe like if we're being generous and say Mads Mikkelsen's lecture is maybe 50 years old mm. and this is obviously taking place in the modern time because everybody's got smartphones and stuff so, you know, you're talking the 1960s, maybe the 1970s when he gets born. Um, So that doesn't make sense. And then they do kind of mention Misha in the TV series. It's just kind of alluded to, but they don't say that it was soldiers who did it. It's supposedly a random trespasser that did it. Um, And it's also hinted that Hannibal may have decided to eat her himself. Um, So he was just a born sociopath. But... This plays into my theories because I think he has had multiple starts of darkness. And I will explain why in a little bit. But just keep that part in mind that um, these are four very different depictions of the same man and of his timeline. Um, now, the time again, the timeline is still screwed up even after the, his start of darkness. Uh, because mm-hmm. in the Hopkins timeline, you get, first of all, there's the Tooth Fairy killings. They happen before Buffalo Bill, and then the Mason Verger stuff happens afterwards. So it goes um, Red Dragon, Silence of the Lambs, and then Hannibal. But in the Mads Mickelson timeline, Mason Verger happens before the Tooth Fairy, and Buffalo Bill doesn't happen at all, so far. Yeah. So that that's some some messing with the timeline going on there because I think um the whole Mason Verger stuff it started when Hannibal was supposedly on the run after he escaped in Silence of the Lambs but that's different in the Mads Mickelson version because he's he's on the run after being uh, revealed as the Chesapeake Ripper oh he's not the Chesapeake Ripper I'm getting my serial killers mixed up.
1: (laughs) In the series, he's not the Chesapeake River. He's not. He finds them, though.
0: Yeah, but uh, but they they discovered that he has cannibalized a whole bunch of people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he's on the run after that. But, of course, in Silence of the Lambs, he escaped from prison and then went on the run. So that's two very different timelines that we're working with there. Um, There's also the fact that a couple of the characters change race. First of all, Jack Crawford is now a black man. Uh, Reba McLean is now a black woman. Um, Or they have changed sex. Because Dr. Bloom in Manhunter was a man when he was mentioned. But Dr. Bloom in the TV series is a woman. Uh, Freddie Lowndes from Red Dragon um, and Manhunter and uh, the TV series. She was a man in Red Dragon and is now a woman in the TV series. And then there's a couple of characters that just don't appear they just kind of pop in and out of existence. So in the Hopkins timeline, Margot Verger, the Mason Verger's sister, she doesn't exist. Or if she does exist, she's never mentioned in the film, even though she's quite a big part of that story. And um, like nowhere is Bedelia DeMaurier, um, Lecter's wife, actually present in the books or the Brian Cox or the Anthony Hopkins versions.
1: Mm. Will Graham doesn't come up a lot either.
0: Well, he do, he does because he's played by three different actors. Yeah,
1: but he wasn't in Silence of the Lambs.
0: He wasn't in Silence of the Lambs. At that point, he was kind of trying to go and uh, live a normal life. um. But Will Graham's portray- portrayal, I think, is in keeping with, you know, if you think about it this way, Lecter has things that he wants to happen in his new timelines. He's wo- actively working on these things. So he is flicking things around for flavor, turning characters from, you know, white people into black people or men into women for the crack. <laughs> so keep that in mind because I'm going to... I'm going Again, I'm going to go into more detail on this later. I'm just trying to stack up the kind of the evidence against him at the moment. Uh, kind of like Will Graham did in uh, the TV series, but <laughs> with less finesse. Um, now, you can kind of almost like this is very much up for debate but you can kind of call him bisexual um because he has a lot of chemistry with Clarice obviously the Hopkins one does and he has sort of chemistry with Edward Norton's version of Will Graham he has a lot of chemistry with him in the Hannibal TV series you know oh yeah the those thirsty fan girls didn't come out of nowhere
1: <laughs> the fandom for Hannibal is incredible like even though it has been finished for a while now although they're waiting for another series just seeing the sheer dedication that the fandom has behind it is absolutely wonderful it's just it's a wonderful thing to witness
0: yeah and you know it's it kind of it speaks to a part of um, female fandom I think in that when it comes to horror almost from a female perspective you know when the The male kind of horror is a slasher pick, you know? So uh, all of the violence depicted is um, penetration with knives, with chainsaws, that kind of thing. But then a lot of uh, almost female geared horror is actually consumption based. So I think there's something about women that's just kind of almost drawn to cannibalism stories.
1: <laughs> women are predisp- <laughs> predisposed to war. <four. laughs>
0: <laughs> mm, well, I, I I wouldn't go that far, but I think there, there there's just um there's something there. I think I think it's it plays a big part in female socialization. I think because we almost naturally, um, we're almost we're almost raised to be more careful about the stuff that we eat than the average man would be. Mm. You know, so I think that's possibly got something to do with with it. But a couple like a lot of the recent um horror films that I've watched um stuff like raw especially involves uh, it it involves cannibalism in some way shape or form so i think yeah the fact that this was a story about a cannibal um really speaks to a big part of the female fandom um but that's um that is a different podcast really we could wax (laughs) i could wax philosophical about this all day but i'd I'd rather really just be silly so i'm going to go back to my regularly scheduled silliness now um (laughs) Anyway, God, where was I? Moving along. Moving very swiftly on. Yeah, so like he's kind of hinted at being bisexual, or maybe you know he's not kind of, maybe he's got no leanings at all in that direction. It's just that he thinks it's fun to kind of play around with. Um, so like in the first iteration, Will Graham is a fairly rugged, normal-looking guy with a mustache and very curly hair. Um, He's just an average guy that you see on the street and that's in Manhunter. And then when he's in Red Dragon he's Edward Norton who I guess is relatively handsome. You know, as I said before I'm not a sailor, I'm a scuba diver so (laughs) I can't really tell these things as such. Um, But I mean, would you consider Edward Norton to be quite a good looking guy? Um,
1: Not particularly enough.
0: You don't look at him and go, but he's beautiful.
1: No. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Unfortunately not.
0: Okay, so yeah, he's he's got a bit of chemistry, but not a huge amount. And then in Hannibal, like that's a full blown pretty boy. Yes. Yeah. So
1: the eyelashes. The eyelashes says it all.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And the the tumbler accounts with the flower crowns. Um, I mean I mean fair. Yeah, fair play to them, like for turning that into a meme. You know that that was actually great crack. Every time I saw it, it just cracked me up, and I was like, "Oh, you know, the, you're taking something so viscerally horrible and turning it into cute, fluffy oo-oo. that takes talent."
1: One of the greatest flower crown ones was that I saw the robots from Evangelion.
0: <laughs> oh my god! And it's
1: just perfection. It's just. The internet and
0: carnage. <laughs> <laughs> um. But then you know, obviously, he's also written to have kind of things. With woman with with women. So you have all the chemistry with Clarice, who is a brunette in the first one and looks like Jodie Foster. And then the film after that, she's a redhead, certainly, and she's played by Julianne Moore. Um. I mean, I think they're both very attractive women, but it's. Mm you know it could be a preference that uh, you know they decided he decided to go from brunette to redhead just for a little bit of spice and then of course he added a random wife for the tv series it looks like Gillian Anderson so I I mean we'd all like to do that wouldn't we
1: everyone (laughs) needs a Gillian Anderson wife
0: (laughs) yeah I mean if you could just kind of manifest that into being it's like boom, there's my wife, Gillian Anderson. Uh, oh, uh, oh, I mean, her name is this. She's not actually Gillian Anderson, but she looks an awful lot like her, doesn't she? Um, <laughs> But yeah, like, Bedelia de is not in the other series, uh, the other parts of the series, and she's not in the books as far as I can remember. So she's purely there for the TV series, and she's there as Hannibal's analyst who knows he's an absolute psychopath. Um, and doesn't really seem to care either. I mean, that's that is a character that seems a little bit too good to be true, in a lot of ways.
1: From what I can remember of the series, she just found it incredibly fascinating what was going on with him because she was a psychiatrist too.
0: Yeah, she she was his psychiatrist, um, and she was analysing him and almost, um y- you know, they they had a sort of a wavelength. But at the same time, in season three she knew fully well that he was planning on eating her because he was feeding her a special diet that um, meant uh, her meat was going to be a lot tastier in the end. And, you know, she just went along with it and said, yeah, this guy's going to eat me. Okay, why not?
1: YOLO, I guess.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, that that does um, say to me there's a certain amount of conditioning in that and that ties into my theory. Uh, This theory is very much like a chain link fence. Uh, so I want you to picture that in your head. I'm adding new links all the time to the chain. Um, now here's the real crux of it and the real reason that I started up this theory. Um, Hannibal Lecter has a skill range and interest range that is way too wide for one human being to manage in a in a single lifetime. Yeah. That that's that's the most obvious one. Um I mean a regular chef working in a restaurant they train for an average of about two years and that's, that's culinary school. That's not countering apprenticeships and paid positions and kind of working at the very lowest end of the kitchen to being the actual head chef. Um, Lecter appears to be trained in the classically French way but he's also trained in sushi. And both of these things take years of practice.
1: Yeah, especially, like, sushi, some of the ways that they're cut and that, it does take years and years to get knife skills like that. We mentioned that that in the, the Paddock episode, that you have to take loads of tests in order to cut some types of fish and stuff. Yeah. And it must have taken a long time to get to that level.
0: It would, and it's one of these things that, like... um, you know, you wouldn't have much time for anything else while you're doing this, especially because chefs are known for working very, very long hours um, and it's a very physically demanding job. Now, it's never said that he actually goes and works in a restaurant, that he's really only trained to kind of amuse himself. But even so, he throws a lot of dinner parties.
1: He does. A suspicious amount, you may say.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And then there's the fact that he's kind of cultivating his own meat, which also takes a huge amount of effort and also takes a lot of knowledge of food and even the ancient history of food culture the fact that you know when he's when he's eating your man that's played by Eddie Izzard and um, y- you know he's like feeding a bunch of snails um, your man's marinated arm and he's then feeding the snails to Eddie Izzard's character uh, Gideon I think his name is and it's Purely, it's a thing that Romans used to do to their pigs to make the meat taste better. And it took ages. The Romans did it because they had slaves that could do it for them. So, but he is doing this himself for the crack. What's um, your
1: knowledge you'd have to have of like food chemistry?
0: Yeah, I, I just realized, um, just a little tangent there. Um, I know that a lot of our listeners are not actually Irish. So that when we say things like "for the crack," they might not necessarily know what we mean. Uh, the word, the word "crack" is a, a derivative of the Irish word "crackana," which means um, fun or laughter. So when you're doing something for the crack, you're doing it for you know for a laugh, and um, just because because it's We're something to enjoy. Drinks. We we are not on drugs. The amount of times I've had to explain that over the years, um, and. <laughs> And and speaking of actually, um, I I do believe that I'm probably going to get a knock on the door from the local guard um, to you know, asking about my Google history, because (laughs) the stuff I've had to Google for this episode, you know, imagine it's like fanfic
1: writers. If ever the FBI looks into their their search history.
0: Yeah, it it just, you know, when you look back at it, it looks like I'm plotting some sort of mass murder.
1: <laughs> she's she's planning to replace me. She's going to kill me and
0: eat me. <laughs> <laughs> so that I can absorb your powers. OK, but going back to Lecter's skill range, uh, he's also a fully qualified psychiatrist. That yeah. also takes years. And he has enough medical training, as in, you know, ER doctor training. That he knows how to keep his victims alive and kicking while he's eating them. There's, there's little things there, you know, when in Silence of the Lambs, when he um, gets the guards and he lowers his heart rate so that he can pretend to be the other guard that was attacked while he's wearing your man's face. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that whole thing like that, that requires some medical expertise. Um, and then there was the whole thing in Hannibal as well when he uh, took the top off your man's skull and started poking around in his brain. I mean, even brain surgeons might not necessarily know how to do that without like really affecting somebody's speech patterns and things.
1: Yeah, God, I'm just reminded of that scene now. I'm like, oh God, <laughs> sorry.
0: Yeah, but I I mean, you know, the way I kind of compare it is, you know, making something that is difficult, like making macarons, uh, which I I used um, part of lockdown to try and perfect recipes that I hadn't quite gotten right yet. And macarons are so beautiful, but they are an absolute pain to make. Uh so I did a couple of them uh like over the space of a couple of days just to see what I was getting wrong what I was getting right and every step was really really distinct so if I got one thing wrong the whole thing would just be a massive waste of time that's the level that you need for just basic home baking a difficult dessert when you apply that knowledge then to somebody who is essentially doing brain surgery and he's also a world-class chef. Doesn't add up, does it?
1: He also uh, can play a load of different instruments as well, can't he?
0: Yeah, he can read sheet music. Uh, he's a very skilled artist and he knows enough about art history that he just walks into a job in Florence as a museum curator. Because
1: like, there was one episode in the TV series where it was the violin wire
0: yeah and he,
1: and he knew how to make the violin wire,
0: yeah I mean, how does the average fifty year old gain that much knowledge um you know when you think about think about the really intelligent people that you know you know the like a lot of the time when you're talking about people who are incredibly intelligent um they tend to specialize in one thing and a lot of them as well, especially if you're talking about like the genius level IQs um, they don't have great social skills a lot of the time.
1: But Hannibal is, he's incredibly charismatic. He's incredibly suave and can woo a lot of people very easily. He's
0: very well liked. Exactly. And that in itself is very, very strange. He's got all these specialties and yet he's able to mask himself so effectively in public in a way that the average, incredibly intelligent person actually is not really capable of doing. I mean, there, there's, um, there was a philosopher that said uh, there is no genius without a tincture of madness. Um, to explain the, the likes of uh, Diogenes, who was also a genius, but he lived in a barrel and uh, used to barge in on meetings and throw chickens at people. <laughs> He's
1: living the dream, really. Who wouldn't want to throw a hen at someone?
0: Yeah. Behold a man. but you you know stuff like that Uh, people like people of very high intelligence tend to specialize or you know they do the whole um uh jack of all trades master of none where you're quite good at a lot of different things but hannibal himself is genius level at many different things and that's kind of crazy
1: and you can tell that he's very well off as well so if you take by his original origin story he wouldn't have been well off so he made his own wealth which would mean that he'd have to work for it how could you work that much to get that much money while mastering all of those things you could maybe do it if you spent every waking moment learning these things but you wouldn't have time to work yeah he was somehow able to do both
0: yeah exactly and you know maybe anthony hopkins at a very stretch because he's the oldest hannibal lecter that he might have had a chance to develop quite a few of these skills but then his culinary levels take a real jump from silence of the lambs to the hannibal tv series so he he develops he gets better at cooking in later iterations which again makes sense but it still doesn't explain the massive jump in skill that he went from one franchise to the next franchise but here is where I'm finally putting my theory together, right? Um, there was a book that I read a long time ago. Uh, it's called Rant, and it was written by uh, Chuck Palahniuk, who was the writer of Fight Club and a bunch of other really cool books. Um, he, his book theorized, it was about a character that was traveling back and forth through time. And they had this whole system of displacing themselves, and they essentially became their own father. Huh yeah but his theory was that usually when you're looking at kind of time travel films and people say oh if you go back in time and you change this then certain people aren't going to exist and the space-time continuum is just going to implode and ah no and but the way he theorized is it's like a chain link fence if you snip certain lines certain things get changed but the overall structure remains intact so you're working on several different realities that you can just throw yourself into willy-nilly. Um, now, one of the real notable things about that book is that the main character in the book has a very acutely developed sense of taste and smell. And that is something Lecter has as well.
1: Yeah, because it's mentioned that he has a ridiculously high, highly sensitive se- sense of smell. In like in the Hannibal series, the TV series, it was very much brought up
0: Yeah, he
1: he could smell fear and stuff.
0: Well, he could smell when Will Graham had encephalitis. Like he could smell Will's brain melting.
1: Yeah,
0: and then he. I
1: I dread to think what that would actually smell like. (laughs)
0: Um. Apparently, it smells like a synapse fluid. Um, you you know the way certain dogs um are kept around people who have um seizures yes and they can sniff out cancer as well so you know because they've got much higher developed sense of smells than us, they can sniff out things like that um and a lot of animals there as well i mean there's a lot of animals that are kind of rejected by their parents in the likes of zoos and things there was a polar bear that was rejected it was quite famous in germany it was rejected by its mother so it was hand reared and then it died quite young Because it had something wrong with its brain. That hadn't been detected. But somehow the mother knew. And that's why she rejected the cub. Yeah. Yeah, It it was sad. But that's nature. uh, Unfortunately. Humans have developed past the need for any of that stuff. So the fact that Lecter has it. Is odd. But then in the book Rant. I think the way they said it is. Rant was the, the main character. Rant he was replicating his own DNA several times so all of his senses were getting built up including his sense of taste and smell particularly so like he that would make sense yeah he was
1: duplicated so many times
0: you get a, you get a double set of uh, the DNA and the chromosomes that you w- were born with um, and you're living the same reality several times except maybe every now and then when you go back to another reality you change something just... Just to see what's going to happen. Um, there's also the, the thing with them. Lecter seems to escape from a lot of situations that seems to suggest that he knows how it's going to play out. It's very difficult to take him by surprise. Mm. You know, the fact that in um, in Hannibal, he was able to repel a bunch of man-eating pigs and he didn't do anything. He just stood there like <laughs> just stood his ground. Yeah, he was basically, he was T-posing almost. <laughs> well, he, he, was, he was holding Clarice at the time, but it kind of looks very similar to a T-pose. So it's just like he was establishing his dominance over the pigs so they couldn't eat him. <laughs> but, you know, there, there's, there's something about him that repelled the pigs automatically. And you do see, like, there's a couple of instances when... Um, an animal will pick up that there's something very fundamentally wrong about him and get freaked out kind of like the way the animals freaked out whenever damien appeared before them at the zoo uh, in um the omen uh, al- although we did establish that damien is just a very badly behaved little boy with an attachment disorder so he's a very naughty boy <laughs> yes exactly so those animals were just being mean um but yeah, there's there's something kind of special about Lecter that repels people. And then there's also, like, um there there was a scene in Hannibal, I know that the director talked about it, where he was walking by a group of Somalian immigrants who were just kind of hanging out and playing music and doing the usual things. And they just kind of stopped in their tracks when he went by because they could almost sense that there was something seriously off about him. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know, it was it hinted to be some sort of... um extra sensory thing that they had that they were clued into from their culture that's how it sounded in the book when it was written I don't know how accurate that is but you know they had this one guy who had this really incredibly intense face I was just giving lecture this absolute stare of terror as he was going by so you can imagine like this fairly you know tall six foot man with these massive eyes just watching this kind of schlubby little English looking guy waddle by and reacting to it as if he's just seen the devil <laughs>
1: yeah mm. oh my god I'm just when you said like a really tall person with giant eyes I was just picturing a giant slow loris I'm sorry
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's okay I, I, I was wondering I could almost hear the little cogs in your brain just uh, putting something really really silly up there <laughs> yeah
1: do <laughs> you know what? Like, have you ever seen those videos of slow with the giant eyes? Though, and they just yeah. the intense glare, and I just had that in my head. I'm so sorry.
0: No, no, it's a, it's, it's okay. We do keep you here for the extra bit of silly. So, um, you know, you bring the silly, and we do appreciate it
1: i have the penny on the railway tracks that derail all of the the trains of thought here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's okay. I think it, it keeps this podcast from being me just info dumping constantly on people, <laughs> um, which nobody likes. You know, a little bit of info dumping is nice every now and then, but it, when it's just a constant stream of info dumping, it's not much fun. Uh, I would like to stop saying the word dumping now. <laughs> okay, so um. So what we're kind of establishing here is that somehow Hannibal has managed to replicate himself across several different realities. And the way I see this is kind of like, um, you know, the Gemini killer in uh, the Exorcist, the third Exorcist film, Legion.
1: I have not seen the third uh, Exorcist film. I'm so sorry.
0: It's okay, you should, it's really good. Uh, It's on Shudder, it's brilliant. the second one I would not recommend, but the third one, like, it's a very different film from The Exorcist itself. It's very scary actually, but in that, um, like, the Gemini Killer supposedly was dead, and then he comes back from out of nowhere, and turns out he's a body hopper. So, so he just hops from body to body because he's hinted at being a demon. But in that same kind of way, like, there was another film that I I could not find. I looked for ages on IMDb. It's probably somewhere like really easy to find and I just managed to not see it. But it was about a killer who was also a body hopper. So there was one guy trying to kind of hunt him down and he just kept, every time he got killed, he'd just hop into another body.
1: Wasn't something like that in child's play?
0: Yeah, it was. There's like a transference of soul from one person to another. Now, I don't think that this is a transference of soul. I think there is always a Hannibal Lecter body out there and that he is coming back to that body and changing things up you know and i mean when you look at the jump when he was in manhunter to when he was in silence of the lambs you get brian cox who's regular looking kind of middle-aged dude he slims down quite a bit to be anthony hopkins and so his face looks quite different and then when they go back in time again, and he's Gaspar Uelio, uh, he's got this really distinctive chin that then somehow disappears.
1: Yeah, and he has like that little dimple as well, doesn't he?
0: He does, yes. And that then Matt's...
1: very, very defined dimple that wouldn't just disappear
0: yeah and then mads mickelson looks completely different from all of them really um but little changes in your appearance your appearance is not necessarily just uh, dictated by your parents and uh your genetics it's also dictated with where you grew up uh what you ate uh what your circumstances were like and then uh, over time you might develop scars um and you know maybe he didn't take care of your skin so now you've got kind of acne uh pockmarks kind of thing um so the changes in his physical appearance you know maybe he went through one reality as brian cox and decided that the next time he comes around he wants to change things up he wants to look a bit different he wants to be a little bit shorter so maybe he cuts back on the vitamin d a little bit so that he is not as tall and he appears to be less of a threat than brian cox And then, you know, he changes his mind again. He decides, ah, actually, you know what? I'd rather be handsome. So the next time he jumps back, he does take the vitamin D, but he also jumps back to a different time continuity. So he makes himself and his circumstances happen later. So I think he just keeps going back and tinkering with not just his DNA, but other people's DNA. So he makes himself born later. Okay, right so that that's that's part of my theory. Now that is a massive massive stretch. But you can sort of influence this if you're taking the time space continuity um, continuity as a chain link fence, going back and kind of moving things forward or moving things back, it's not going to have that much of an impact on the structure itself. So you're not kind of blinking other people out of existence. you're just moving them forward or maybe even putting them in somebody else's body so the whole thing with um jack crawford being white in one continuity and then black in another continuity go back a couple of generations splice it in with somebody else you've still got all the same names and family names and most of the dna there but he's still a different person he's still destined to be jack crawford who works for the fbi Mm. yeah um, and then, you know, when he decides that he'd, he'd like to be kind of um, at a decent age to kind of commit his his famous crimes in an age where the technology is better than it is in the Silence of the Lambs era, just for the crack, you know, maybe he'd like to have a smartphone and an Apple laptop, um, <laughs> which don't exist in the Silence of the Lambs uh, time period. So he's just like, ah, yeah, do you know what? I, I'll go back and I'll make myself born later. Hang on, that means that my dear sister can't be eaten by Nazis anymore. Do you know? Oh, fine. I guess I'll eat her. <laughs> Someone's got to. Exactly. Well, that that's his. That is his start of darkness, supposedly. So he, he you know, somebody has to do it. <laughs> um, and then there's also the thing that he adds to the timelines, really depending on what he thinks is cool. Which is why we get a whole bunch of samurai stuff in uh, Hannibal Rising.
1: Yeah, an unnecessary amount, really.
0: Yeah, it was almost kind of like he had an anime phase.
1: <laughs> oh my god, Hannibal Lecter's weeaboo phase. <laughs> yeah. Oh my
0: god. You see, I, I think, you know what, he's probably dorkier on the inside than we probably think he is. You know, he's he's real suave, right? And he's real charismatic and he seems like he's this very urbane person. But do you know when we discussed in our Lord of the Rings theory about Legolas being like, you know, he's able to do all the regular elf things, shooting orcs and pointing things out and uh, walking on top of snow. The whole time he's just incredibly drunk and they yeah. don't know because he's still hyper-competent. <laughs> but other elves know that he's drunk.
1: <laughs> so it's there's other Hannibal actors looking at him going, man... What are
0: you doing you're being cringy stop no he's just kind of like he's he's indulging a little side of himself like um if he's gone through the continuities a couple of times maybe he wasn't that good a chef and manhunter maybe you know he like he still liked to eat people but he did it in the same way that like the family in the texas chainsaw massacre did you know frying a steak about the extent of it really and then when he got to Hannibal Lecter, he was like, you know, I've, I've learned all these really cool things about upper class society. I, I should really try and up my my cooking skills a bit. And he does. And then he learns more techniques when he goes to Florence and lives there for a couple of years. Um, and then once he gets to Hannibal, finally, he's developed all these different cooking techniques that are super complicated and also have the bonus of hiding the fact that he's feeding people human parts. You know um. so this would give him enough time to develop all of those interests but then add new ones to them all the time so it's like okay so in my last continuity i became a world-class chef and i studied a lot of ancient roman art and that was really cool but you know what i'd like to do now i'd like to do some samurai stuff i'll tell you what i'll go back in time to before world war one i'll add in a random japanese woman that my uncle married and that'd be really cool. Then I could do Bushido and it would be really, really cool because I'd have, like, a katana uh, and, you know, I'd look all cool when I'm taking revenge for my dead sister.
1: <laughs> oh, I can actually picture the internal monologue of him of him doing that now. And I don't like it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, like, he's... He's, um, he's still... When he goes back to do the prequel, back into that continuity... He's still got all of the knowledge that he has before, really. Um, but he's, he's kind of a, like, he's reliving his teenage years. It's almost like a midlife crisis. But instead of buying like a sports car and dating somebody that's too young for him, he, you know, he grabs a katana and starts going with the samurai code and hunting down people. Because he never really got to do that in the other continuities. It's, it's it's all for the crack. And then once he gets to the TV series, he's, he does a lot of things there that are just there for the crack, really. He decided, do you know what? I think in this continuity, I'm going to be extra gay. But I would also really like to have a, a wife that looks like Gillian Anderson. So I'd better go and make that happen. So he hops back to maybe the 1950s starts putting a couple of things in motion swaps races for a couple of people before they're born um, influences a couple of um things going on and then kind of almost plants the seed for his wife somewhere and could you imagine like um i th- i think this was a plot point in the time traveler's wife that um the the main character kept going back in time and meeting his wife when she was a child at different stages of her life and kind of very subtly influencing things around her so that when he met her and they fell in love when she was an adult she almost kind of had this sort of mental imagery of him in her head she didn't quite know who he was but she she kind of had these echoes of the past yeah or maybe I misinterpreted that book
1: it was a very um, wibbly wobbly timey wimey book to be honest from what I can remember when I read it it was a it didn't sit particularly well with me
0: yeah
1: <laughs> but that was just me
0: that that is very fair and um, but like for for this theory uh, time is not wibbly wobbly it's a uh, super sturdy
1: super sturdy and de- defined by Hannibal Lecter
0: pretty much yeah like you know um Let's say he picked a kind of a rich family that would have enough money to eventually send their daughter off to college for psychiatry. And he just sort of implanted this idea in her mind that she was destined to uh, study psychology and become a psychiatrist, where she'd eventually run into him. So she, he pops up with things like, um, you know, he's the clown at her birthday party. <laughs> he, he's he's the He's the Santa whose lap she sits on at Christmas and, you know, she says, uh, well, for Christmas I want a dolly and he'll go, no, do you know what you should do? You should get a book on abnormal psychology. You'd really like that, I promise you. Do that and I'll give you a dolly. Oh,
1: my God. I- the imagery that that is just putting in my head is not
0: okay. I'm so sorry. I'm I mean this in the most innocent way possible. Really, it's just that you know, he's doing a subliminal thing. He's I'm just kind just of going back innocent
1: and. Innocent a bloody Do you <laughs> <laughs> know what you would like? This knife set. <laughs> oh, God.
0: But yeah, and then when she like meets him years later, she's like. You look strangely familiar. That's fascinating. I know you're massively dangerous, but uh, like, I'm thinking I've seen you many, many times before, and you, you looked exactly
1: remind me of Christmas
0: <laughs> and my birthday.
1: <laughs> Good lord,
0: I need it. <laughs> we've officially gone too far. We de- I mean, we declare that every episode that we've officially gone too far. We have. I don't think we've ever gone officially officially too far just yet, but I think it's it's on the horizon. Yeah. Someday someday we will reach it
1: and we'll know and we'll just be like Well that's the end of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just know someday. There'll be sirens and donkey noises and we'll just know. <laughs> yeah, and uh,
0: my Google history will be brought up in course as a reason to have me sectioned in Broadmoor. <laughs>
1: You just hear the FBI smashing through your windows.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um, I mean, mall Santa imagery aside, what do you personally think of this theory?
1: I think it's pretty plausible. Like, there's no way to explain why he does, why he knows so much things, why he can do so many things, how he keeps getting away with stuff. Um yeah i'd I'd be well behind that he's almost like the doctor who of cannibals
0: yeah i I mean we could have gone the really easy route and said he was a time lord but um i i don't i always think that kind of going this character is a time lord is a slight cop out i would Mm -hmm. much rather that he was this malicious kind of space entity who kept going back in time to fiddle not just with his own dna but other people's dna Yeah, (laughs) and I'm sure there's continuities where he's gotten it really badly wrong that he's gone back and fiddled with some of these DNA and then wiped them out of existence for that reality so maybe in one of these realities there is no Will Graham or that is it's Wilhelmina Graham I
1: would love to see a continuity where he fiddled too hard and he ends up like a supermarket cashier (laughs) regretting all of his life choices
0: (laughs) I'm, I'm sure that does exist as well
1: your counter just like this isn't what I planned. <laughs> yeah,
0: beautiful. the The amount of fan art that we could draw just from this theory alone. Um, I I don't know. Maybe we can weaponize the Hannibal fandom if they ever find this episode, or or they will kill us. One or the other. Yeah,
1: yeah. the never mess with fandoms. The bad times. Anywho.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so we'd better um, call this episode to a close before things get any worse or or before Hannibal manifests in our house to fiddle around with our DNA.
1: <laughs> Anywho, uh, we are on iTunes, we are on Spotify. You can check us out on Twitter if you have any theories of your own you'd like to send to us. We would more than likely... <laughs> more than likely that's not what i meant to say <laughs> we would absolutely love to hear any theories that you have and if you want to chat with us that'd be great and we now have a patreon Ooh, so what? if you want to help support the podcast and help us do more theories and that we'll have extra episodes that you can chill with us on we'll have polls we'll have all sorts of really fun cool stuff on our patreon if you want to check us out um and uh, this has been Crackpot Theories. Truth is out there, and it's probably Mads Nich- Nicholson in a Santa outfit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>
0: <laughs> goodbye.